Welcome to the podcast where together, every Monday, we explore hospitality in its very broader sense. From culture and cooking, cocktails and coffee, nutrition and farming, politics and animal welfare, organic and sustainability, family and business, entrepreneurship, and much, much more. Come and learn with me, Mark Cribb, about where our food and our drink comes from and the businesses, and more importantly, the human beings that thrive on where we decide to spend our time and our money. Sign up to our weekly newsletter at humansofhospitality.co.uk and hit subscribe on your podcast player of choice. We are diving deep into the wonderful world of restaurant kitchens in this week's episode. And watching this chef's career take off has been an inspiring experience for me, not least because Steve Groves started his culinary life working by the sea in Dorset, where we once shared a town and even a seafront some time ago. Now, if Steve's name doesn't ring an immediate bell, maybe the fact that he was the winner of MasterChef The Professionals will nudge your memory. It also gives you an idea of the exacting standards he works to and why Michel Roux Jr. snapped him up as a sous chef to join the team at the Roux at Parliament Square. And for the last six years, Steve has been head chef at this prestigious restaurant, giving its French classical heritage a modern twist and impressing yet more judges, most recently at the Craft Guild's National Chef of the Year competition that Steve very impressively won. But as you'll hear, Steve is not one for blowing his own trumpet. He's more interested in developing the talent of his colleagues and making sure the whole team gels and that they get to see their families at the weekends. Yes, every weekend, I hope my brigade are not listening too hard. Uh, And as it's nearly Christmas, he reveals what's replacing the traditional turkey on his festive dinner table. I very much hope you enjoy this week's conversation. Steve Groves, thank you so much for sparing the time to be on the podcast. Very much appreciated. It's an absolute pleasure. Good to see you again. And you, yeah. It's been a long, long time. I'll come back to that. But before I tell the story, uh, can you just explain to people listening, where are we on planet Earth, Steve? Uh, So we're at Rua Parliament Square restaurant. We're just on Great George Street, just off of Parliament Square. So unfortunately, this uh, day-to-day life here, it can be a bit challenging with uh, protests, road closures, um, and obviously... It's worse sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, no, I've just had to li- literally squeeze past a load of protesters out. So I'm not protesting about you, you'll be pleased. To no, no, no. But there's, uh, not, there's not police, again, anyway. Yeah, so. yeah, there's police out there and all sorts. So uh, I've not seen you for many years. We did once upon a time share a town and share an industry. You were, uh, I don't know, not on competition. Did, was Urban Reef there when you were at uh, Branksome Beach, do you remember? Or? Yeah, it was for a bit. I yeah. think you'd, um, I think you must have been there for about a year while I was still mm. down there. So you were um, in a restaurant on the beach. beach. Yeah. yeah, I was in a restaurant on the beach. Quite far away down the beach, though. So yeah, it was, um, <laughs> it was all right. We were friends, yeah, not exactly. friends. Exactly. Uh, so it's exciting to see you again. And, and I've sort of watched your career over the last decade, well, longer ago than that, when uh, when we knew each other. So, uh, yeah, genuinely excited to kind of hear the story properly because I've only seen snippets yeah, great. over the years. Um, if you don't mind, I'm going to start with MasterChef because where I know you from, uh, yeah, from from Bournemouth, most people are, are probably going to remember you from. Uh, was it 2009? 2009, yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, that's quite a risk. I, I always think for anyone who's in the professional kind of side of the industry, that's got to be a higher risk strategy than just your average person rocking up from the street. Did it feel high risk, and what was it that motivated you to go and do it? Um, no, you're right. It is is risk, and it was um, it was one of those things that. I didn't really think about that too much until I actually 
it was too late and I was there <laughs> and committed. Um, and I think initially it came about with my boss, Tristan, at Launceston Place at the time. Um, just kind of came into the kitchen, asked if anyone wanted to, to go on MasterChef because they were sending emails out to kind of lots of the kind of restaurants and, and chefs at the time. Um, my initial reaction was no, not really. Just because I thought, well, it wasn't something that really appealed to me. I didn't really want the kind of limelight. I enjoyed being a chef because I was kind of hidden away and um, didn't have to kind of deal with being centre of attention ultimately. And I just, I don't know what, what happened. I was on a day off and I just kind of thought, well, maybe, maybe just give it a go. Kind of push yourself, get out, get yourself out there and um, filled in the application online. It was... Um, just a form online, I filled it out. I think about 20 minutes later, one of the producers called and did a, a telephone interview. Um, and it snowballed so quickly. I think did like a face-to-face -face on camera interview the next day and- Wow, um, fast. Didn't hear anything for a few weeks. And then it's like, you're, you're on the show. Um, and yeah, then you kind of committed to it and <laughs> you just got to kind of get on with it really. And I think I was working so many hours at the time, working kind of, really hard. I was a chef to party at, at Launceston Place. Um, so kind of doing like 90 odd hours a week and everything just kind of went by in, in a bit of a blur really. And then it was just kind of next thing you know, you're there filming on your, your one day off and you're just going through that process. Yeah, that's uh, how big is the commitment? I interviewed Michael Bremner who won the Great British Menu. Do you yeah. know Michael? Yeah. And uh, he said, you know, luckily for him, at least he was self-employed, but he said the filming schedule was insane and it was a huge amount of time, but he yeah. had the flexibility. But did you... And all the were preparation you, beforehand as yeah. well. Yeah, were you given time to do it at work or was it literally um, your day off? I mean, initially it was just kind of... Because the filming starts kind of quite spread out because you're doing your heats and... All the rest of it so you'd kind of go in you'd do a day and then you go back a couple of days later do another day and then it'd be a few weeks before you went back if it's a mystery bag kind of challenge then you can't really practice for that anyway so you can't really prepare um when you're doing your own dishes because you kind of get a bit of a brief of what to prepare for um what's going to come up but i had a, i gave myself a rule at the beginning of never prepare for any round that you haven't already qualified for okay so i just yeah I'd, could do a little bit of practice. It was tough for the kitchen because there was never really time to kind of just kind of take some time out and practice a dish. And like I said, I was a chef's party. I wasn't kind of a senior chef there, so I couldn't really kind of um, just kind of take the time away. I had my kind of normal job to do there. And it wasn't like I could go in on my day off, really, because the kitchen was tight. It was a really small space, so you couldn't really kind of go in there and be pottering around. So I tried to practice a few bits at home. When possible, smooth. <laughs> Just drop the lid of a teapot in my tea. Steve's doing very well too, but uh, yeah, not laugh too hard. It's, um, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it was difficult to, to prepare, but I mean, the restaurant did support me. Tristan was very good in terms of advice and he, things like that. Was he nervous on his reputation? Was it kind of like, look, don't let me down? Because he, he was, you know, kind of... I don't know, I didn't really get that. I mean, he, the one thing he did say is kind of, he didn't want to kind of give me too much um guidance in terms of what i want to cook because he wanted he didn't want to be in a position where if it did go wrong for me and i felt that he'd kind of pushed me in that direction and i'd kind of resent him for that so i kind of respected that um but yeah he kind of gave me a bit of guidance he'd already done things like the the gordon ramsay scholarship and and done well in that so it was um that was really helpful and i think i kind of had a 
big appreciation for that. As as it started to get later in the competition, then the the kind of filming day started getting closer and closer together. And obviously, that rule of not preparing for any of the um, the rounds you hadn't already kind of qualified for started to become more of a challenge because it'd be kind of you're qualified for this round now. It's kind of two days later, and you've got to go into it. But I think actually the way I was working, the intensity that I was working at in the restaurant, really helped me through the competition because everything was just kind of done on instinct yeah. um, and just kind of drawing on the experience that I'd got. Um, I was just, I felt like I was kind of not overthinking things. Whereas I think a lot of the guys that had kind of come down had to stay in London for the kind of that period, probably sat in hotel rooms, kind of researching and thinking about what they're going to cook and maybe second guessing themselves sometimes. I didn't have time for that. So it was just getting there, cook the dishes as best you can and, Mm. Um, and, and none of it goes out until the whole thing is filmed, or is it, or does, is it released as you go along? Or? No, no, it's um, you know. There's a big gap between between finishing filming and, right. and it going out. It's like six months. Oh wow! You have so, to keep it to yourself. Yeah, well, I mean, it's ridiculous because you get to the end of it and you won. So yeah. they're all like, "Great, we want to get your reaction on TV." I'm not one of these kind of overly exuberant people that's just kind of like <laughs> jumping around on the tables or anything like that. Yeah. Um, so they're like, well, call your mum, because they'd already filmed my mum as part of it um, earlier on. Um, so I'll call your mum, tell your mum you've won. So my mum, again, is not really kind of oh, cool. uh, overly excitable. <laughs> so, oh, that's great, Steve. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. Um, kind of it. And um, end that conversation. And then about five minutes later, they're like, well, call your mum back and tell her not to tell anyone. Because, you know, it's uh, it's got to remain a secret for the next six months. Yeah. Um, now, I grew up in quite a small town in Essex, so I called my mum back. She's like, well, I've told your sisters. <laughs> really, in five yeah, minutes. So that's, uh, that's three sisters, and then... Um, wow. so it's up to 500 people within an hour. Yeah, it's just like trying to stop the fire from spreading. Okay. Um, Which you did, did you? And try and contain it a bit, but it was, uh, yeah, it was right in that sense. And then I just had to tell everyone else I'd lost. Everyone else I knew I was filming it. I just told them I lost, including Tristan, my boss. I told him I'd lost initially. Because when I called him, he was in the kitchen. I knew he'd kind of not That's be able to keep a secret. Um, so I told him I saw him face to face. Um, told him not to tell anyone. But I think he did let the cat out of the bag to a couple of people. Really? Okay. <laughs> um, but it, was, it was never released as a problem from the uh, TV. No, well, I did get a, I did get sent a bottle of wine and a, a letter warning me not to tell anyone. Um, well, just a reminder. Except the wine in through, It's just a... <laughs> Okay, it's, and it, um, is it is it as tense in the filming as oh it's probably even more so I suppose than it actually looks on TV? Do they do that? You know, at the end where they kind of do that big pause before they announce it and kind of show your facial expressions. Is that real or yeah, that, yeah, that's yeah, literally. I mean, is, to be honest, that bit's worse in in real life than than it's on TV because obviously everything edited down on the TV. Right. Um, so the waiting is it's insane. Like you just you, I think it's probably a couple of hours of keeping us waiting. And I, I'm sure they, they've made the decision and they just kind of keep you there waiting because it's building that tension. You're kind of feeling more and more nervous. Then they make you obviously walk into the studio, make sure you're all kind of lined up in the right spots and get their camera angles all sorted and fixed. And then, oh, you don't know. And then they start the filming bit and then there's the whole kind of wait or they might be like, we'll just do that bit again. And it takes ages, yeah. And they don't so, put you out your misery. They literally no, no, no exactly. Put you through Until it they over actually and over again. say that, say that name at the end. That's it. You know, it's just waiting. So your name was called. How did you feel? Yeah, I was over the moon. I mean, it's. Um, I think to be honest, Master was really good for kind of self confidence things. Like that. I'd kind of gone on there really 
question whether I could kind of go through that process and, and win. Um, so to kind of come out on top was a massive, massive confidence boost. Yeah. Um, and it kind of validated the kind of sacrifices I'd made kind of prior to that and, you know, the decision to, to leave Bournemouth and come up to London. Well, yeah, perfect segue. So, mm. yeah, un unlike a lot of people, I suppose, who'd maybe, you know, come up in, in, in London and kind of work their way up, you'd already been at the top of your game and you were, you were head I say top of your game, obviously a different kind of scenario. Yeah. But you'd gone from being a head chef you know, on the beach in Bournemouth, you were what twenty four was it at the time? You yeah, were you were young, you were kind of you know, earning a younger. reasonably decent decent wage, especially for Bournemouth. Yeah, big decision. What made you decide to uh, to step so back, so far back down the hierarchy? I suppose. Well, I think the thing is, my career kind of had a bit of a strange start. Essentially, I mean, I I'd done well at college. I went to catering college, and initially I wanted to be a fireman. I didn't even want to be a chef. I just kind of um, I went to catering college as something to fall back on. Um, but really enjoyed it at Catering College. One chef of the year there, was offered the best placement they had, which was in America. So I went out to there. Was supposed to be there for a year, but came back after six months because my father was ill. He was living in Bournemouth at the time, which is why I moved down, down to Bournemouth. Um, so I moved down there to, to kind of spend some time with him before he passed away. Um, and then I'd kind of, I don't know, just kind of, went off track a little bit, I think, with my, my career. I kind of worked in some kind of pretty average places down there. I mean, talking kind of wine bars and um, kind of lower level hotels. Um, so I wasn't really kind of developing myself a great deal. And I still felt kind of, you know, I, was, I could still cook and I could still kind of make nice food and all the rest of it. And um, got the job at, at Brankton Beach, which, in that area at that time, I think it was one of the better places for sure. Um, went there as sous chef initially, took over as head chef, quite young, like you say, I think it's kind of 24. Um, but at that point, I'd kind of been living beyond my means for a few years before that. So I'd kind of racked up a load of debt that I was kind of struggling to service in terms of kind of making repayments or the rest of it. And then felt that I really couldn't afford to move up to London at that point. So taking the head chef's job was almost kind of a case of, right, I need to, to clear this now before I could even think about going to London. Um, and then at that time, I was really questioning whether being a chef was still what I wanted to do because, you know, I felt I'd kind of missed out on those kind of early years of being in high-end kitchens and learning and learning and learning. Um, was kind of running a team of kind of eight chefs myself and felt that I'd hit a ceiling in... in in Bournemouth and I couldn't really see where I'd go from there. And I felt that I just needed to go and learn again, really. I just wanted to kind of start to get back to those kind of the higher level in the industry. And I'd, I'd kind of see other people succeeding and think I've kind of wasted my opportunity. Um, Even though you were, you know, what like, a lot of a lot of chefs would have gone, yeah, head chef on a pretty decent seafront restaurant would have been okay, but you'd always, wanted to be, you know, I don't know, one one of the best rather than just yeah, uh, one just, of the also rounds. I've always had a fear of being a really average chef, doing a really average job. Um, and I've, I've always just kind of wanted wanted more. So I think, and I'm not saying that was an average job, that's, that's quite disrespectful, I guess. No, 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 it was it's, decent, um, but you are, yeah, you've gone up a few levels. I didn't feel so. I could go any further. Yeah. Um, so I just... Yeah, the, the the opportunity came. It was actually through um, through one of our suppliers. 
can't remember the name right now, but it's, they were they were supplying us with some pork, but they're also supplying um, Tristan at Launceston Place. Tristan had just come from from Petrus with Marcus Waring, so kind of two star background. It sounded really exciting what he was going to kind of be looking at doing. Um, so I just said, well, do you know what? I'm, I'm now in a position where I can. I don't say I could really afford to, to move to London. I don't know if you ever can, but it's. Um, I didn't have the debts. I'd cleared that. I'd, I'd sorted myself out in that sense. And I wanted to then come up to London um, and see what Tristan was doing. So I remember coming up to London for, for a trial shift. Um, turned up at the restaurant at the time. He'd said no one was there. Tristan was there in bed when I called him. He's like, oh shit, is that meant to be today? Uh, yeah, I'm outside the restaurant. Yeah, I've, so come, I've come a fair distance. Spent a bit of time in um, in Starbucks, I think, waiting for him to to come to work, and then yeah, did the trial shift. It was it was tough. It was a different environment. It's a lot of kind of yeah. In Bournemouth, it was working with like really nice people, really friendly. It was such a kind of like it was just a bunch of friends really working like, together. Like life was, on the beach. It was brilliant. Um, so yeah, coming up to a kind of slightly more hostile environment was just kind of looking around thinking. Okay, this is what I've got to do, but that was kind of the way I saw it. Um, and I mean, Tristan said uh, in the interviews, I like, I can only offer you chef to party position. I think you'd be mad to take it because you're basically going to disappear for six months or more and um, just have to really get your head down. And um, the salary is this, which was about half of what I was earning already. Um, and it, like I said, he's, he thought I'd be mad to take it, but you know, I was just like, yeah, this is what I've got to do. I need to do it. So, yeah, said, let's let's go for it. Moved out to London, and the first few months were tough. It was it was really hard. I mean, people would be saying, um, calling chef in the kitchen, stuff. Like, I'd be looking around. <laughs> just got to remember, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not chef anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, what was the toughest bit? The the kind of the hours and the culture shock, or just the fact that you weren't your own boss, kind of running the show? All of it, really. I mean. The life in Bournemouth was, was fantastic. Loads of friends, um, plenty of time off. Like the hours were kind of pretty sociable. Um, that was still tough, but as far as chef jobs go, we were quite lucky. Um, you know, I could walk along the beach in the morning to go to work. It was pretty. You could see the sea from the park there, I think. Could you? Yeah. yeah. Look out so over the past open nice restaurant. Same at same at beach right outside. Yeah, see the see the sea from the past. That's a big selling point. I yeah, always put yeah, in the definitely. Well, I did sometimes wake up and the sun would be shining. I think, oh god. Yeah, you're going to get to work. There's going to be a queue outside. <laughs> that is the downside. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. You can but, see um, it, but you can't use it. No, no, exactly. Yeah, it was quite depressing seeing everyone walk past you with their towels around the necks, and you're going to work. But it's. No, it was a fantastic life down there. And I think um, coming up to London, I didn't know anyone. Obviously, there's loads of people around, but it's quite a lonely place. Working lots, lots more hours, probably double the amount of hours, aching everywhere. Just from being stood up all day, I think, was the kind of um, thing, because I hadn't been used to doing that. Um, and obviously, like I say, just stepping away from everything, I'd go home, just feel thoroughly depressed because you're going home I say home you're going back to a kind of room with nothing in it and um, you know it was, it was quite depressing yeah. kind of because the hours are insane I've had, a, I've had a few chefs who've come up and done stages like you know you think god they like come up for two weeks and spend their holiday up here yeah. literally you don't see daylight you know no, in, no, no, in, exactly. in at six in well, the morning no, no, exactly. don't finish till straight down midnight. in darkness down to a, a basement kitchen 
come out one o'clock in the morning, uh, get a night bus home, sleep for a few hours and yeah, do it again. Day. And were you learning a lot from a sort of cuisine perspective? Yeah, loads. I mean, I'd come up and I'd, I'd never even seen a kind of espuma gun or a kind of a lot of these techniques, sous vide, I'd never touched it. and um, So the, the learning was intense, but that's kind of, the, that was the bit that really made it exciting. Mm. And you're surrounded by, it's not just kind of like Tristan or... Um, all that. it's all the other chefs that have kind of worked in other starred places and the standards just kind of completely different it's the way of working is so much more and you're just so much more focused on on the food whereas obviously being head chef somewhere you're focusing on loads of other things like your financials and the rest of your team people, and training people and, management and, yeah, being a exactly, psychologist exactly that so I was loving just kind of really just learning all these new techniques and working with kind of better quality ingredients and, and all of that. That bit was fantastic. Um, and then obviously MasterChef came around quite quickly after that. Um, and it all just kind of took off from there, really. Yeah, that was a big jump then to go, you know, into MasterChef. Like you say, considering, you know, it was a lot of, you say it was decent food, but fish and chips and burgers and stuff like that on the beach, as well as some, some more a la carte stuff. But it was yeah. quite, yeah, not much of a window then to go and be uh, amongst the best. No, but I, I think because I was learning at such a rate, and I was just kind of like absorbing myself in loads of like new ideas and new techniques and and creatively I kind of felt like incredibly inspired so I think it was a good time to get on there and yeah. and go and do it and it was kind of the program was kind of in, in its infancy in the professional MasterChef sense because um, it was only season two yeah and season one had been quite low key it was like lunchtime or dinner time sorry on um, on BBC Two and then series two that I did was um, bumped up to, to prime time. So that became yeah. quite big. And obviously the exposure from it was, was huge. So once it went out and you'd, uh, you'd won, you still stayed working with Tristan? Were you, were you sous chef by the time it went out? Or was that part of the negotiations? <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> so, it's, um, so initially I was supposed to go and work at Le Gavroche because obviously going on MasterChef for me was all about making a contact in, in Michelle Rue Jr. Um, and that's kind of, that, I just kind of saw that as my in. I wanted to go and work at Le Gavroche. I knew kind of Derek from the previous season had gone to work at the Gavroche. That was my goal. It was like this, this is a goal job from, from years ago, or from when, from well, specifically I'm, when you went to say yes, I'm going to do. I'd always looked year. up to the Rue family as being the kind of the ones that have kind of created this amazing culture of food in this in this country and kind of really kind of rejuvenated um, the kind of British dining scene. Um, so I think um, you know all through college we were learning from their books. We were kind of they were just the, the family you kind of looked up to in terms of who's the best in the industry, ultimately. And you look at the chefs that have gone through their kitchens over the years, it's, it's an impressive list. Um, so that, that was my goal. And even Tristan, actually, who I was working for at the time, he'd been through the Gavroche and it just felt like all the kind of top chefs had been through that kitchen. So I wanted some of that action, really. Who I were some of the was, chefs uh, who had uh, been through? So. They'd been through their kitchen. I mean, you're talking kind of Gordon Ramsay, Marcus Waring... Um, well, pretty much anyone that's anyone really yeah. it's, um, it's not bad is it Raymond Blocks are the place that I often hear that people have been through as well so we've worked with uh, yeah the no no, no blocks, exactly so, but yeah impressive list um, so yeah I wanted to do that I I couldn't go and work there until the show had aired because it kind of gives it away who, who won if anyone found out um, so yeah I spoke to, to Michelle Rue um, shortly after he said yeah absolutely you can have a job as soon as the the show has aired 
Um, but then obviously I had a, a few month wait in the meantime. Um, and in that time I jumped up from um, chef to party to junior sous chef and then just as I was uh, supposed to start at Gavroche, it was um, bumped up to, to senior sous chef. And to be honest, I, I, I felt as well that I should stay for a little bit just because I could, when I spoke about going to the Gavroche, I could see the, the disappointment from Tristan, like, because he was, and he'd supported me through it. So I kind of felt that, you know, I owed, I owed them something to stay and obviously they made me senior sous chef. So it was beneficial from both sides. I was still learning a lot as well. Um, so yeah, I went in there as, uh, stayed there, sorry, as a senior sous chef. And then it was a year later that I came and spoke to, to Michelle It's a good again. amount of time. That's a, that's a decent level of respect, I think, isn't it? To not yeah, just, uh, I, I think it was important as well. I think um, it was difficult because I think once it did come out on, on TV and there, there was a lot of kind of um, attention off of the back of it, which I wasn't really expecting. Um, and obviously Tristan's trying to make a name for himself. Um, he's just kind of started doing TV bits and all the rest of it and um, he's doing really well at the restaurant and kind of building a, a great reputation. And then suddenly he's got this kind of sous chef that's got people coming into the restaurant and asking to, to see me. Does create a little bit of, <laughs> Interesting kind of uh, uncomfortable situation. And I'm not kind of one that would go out and seek that kind of attention, um, which sounds ridiculous, obviously, when you're just gone on a bit of MasterChef, but no, no, I get, I get it's... You, um, you didn't do it for the fame, you did it for no, the No, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't looking for that. So it was, yeah, it was a bit uncomfortable at times. And there was a fair amount of kind of like ribbon in the kitchen. Yeah. It was, um, but I just came Did, did that down. mean in the end he was grateful that uh, you, you left? It, it must have made sense to go your separate ways a little bit from a... I don't uh, know if he was grateful I left. <laughs> I think um, not from a workload perspective, but uh, no, because I think by the time I left, it had kind of died down a little bit anyway. But it's, um, I think the time was right. I think you know, I'd, I'd done my bit there. I'd really enjoyed it. I'd learned lots, um, and I think I'd been kind of you know good worker for them. Yeah, is that when you did the stages? Because you ended up in was it Buckingham Palace, the Lebury, No, but when was that? Well, Buckingham was that... Palace was actually when I was at college. So that was okay, a kind so of a couple before. of weeks when I was at college. Right. Yeah, really young lad. That was. Uh, and Noma and the Lebri and stuff, when were those? Were they? Those were between, yeah. So, um, yeah, did a, a few weeks at, um, at Noma between kind of leaving Launceston Place and um, and starting here. And then the Ledbury, I've done a, a few kind of across a period of time, kind of, I think I went there kind of three times and right. separate stages. Initially, I wanted to go and work there after Launceston Place. That was the plan. Um, because, you know, I'd decided that, you know, maybe I wouldn't go to Le Gavroche at this point. I would go and look at the Ledbury because I just really loved the food that Brett Graham was doing there. I think it's, it was the kind of food I really wanted to learn. I think it would kind of really take me on to another level. At that point, when I'd left Launceston Place, um, he didn't have a role at the time. Um, so then I went to speak to, to Chef Michelle, then came over to here. Um, a sous chef and then Brett called me about two days afterwards and said I've got a role now at the Ledbury but obviously at that point I'd obviously committed Sorry. to coming here so Sorry, yeah. um, you know there's no looking back after that really it's um, it's been nine years here and yeah, good going. Well, we'll come into that. But for people who don't know, I realise we mentioned stages a couple of times and although kind of in the industry, can you just explain what, what they are? So stages, um, 
essentially going to work somewhere for, for free to gain some experience. And I think um, it's a great way of just getting in and having a look at what, what people are doing. I think there's, um, I'd say the, the stage in Noma, there was a lot of time spent picking herbs and thyme, thyme leaves individually picked off of the, the stems. So um, I'm not sure I learned a huge amount, but obviously you've just got to try and look around as much as you can, ask loads of questions. And just, again, you it was a restaurant at that time, it had literally just kind of become number one restaurant in the world. Um, so there's loads of people wanting to get in there as, as a stage just to kind of see what they're doing. And there's like an army of you kind of picking herbs and picking um, snails out of the shells. And yeah. I had a few of my chefs of come up and jobs. do it. And you think, again, you know, God, what? I mean, he'd be absolutely knackered when he came back. He'd come, he'd yeah. come up sometimes, you know, two weeks, I think, was the longest one he did for his, you know, genuine holiday. And I, and I felt, because he was knackered, he'd like been working his ass off in my yeah. kitchen. He did, had an absolute pasting for the summer. Part of me wanted him to just go and sit on a beach and chill out and get some yeah. rest. But he would come back, having not seen daylight for two weeks, and he'd be absolutely buzzing, excited, hundreds of photos on his phone. Yeah. And, and so excited. But there's not many industries where... Yeah, people will go and do like not just a no, normal week's work, it's... but two weeks, you know, hundred hour weeks. It's it, and and it's still going on. In some ways, I love it. In some ways, I love the fact that people will open their kitchens and say, "Yeah, come in and work with me." And the other way, I think. No, I, it's, it's, it's I do. Merciless. I still love it. I, I, if someone's coming to us just to literally have a look at what we're doing, I, I see that as a massive compliment as a as a chef that someone wants to come and do that. So I will make sure that we look after them nicely. Um, you know, just kind of really trying to encourage them to see as much as possible, let them try as much as possible. Um, and for me, as a, as a younger chef, a lot of it was about the fact that I couldn't afford to go and eat in these restaurants. So the only way to really go and see what they're doing is to to go and do that, to go and work for free and kind of see what they're, see what they're doing. So I think there's a there's a lot of that in there as well. Um, so yeah, it's it, it's good for the experience, yeah. and I think. Um, it still happens. Do you have a lot of people come here, and is there a sort of prerequisite before they come in? Or? Yeah, we have a, we have a fair few. I think um, we would want them to be a kind of a chef, yeah. essentially. Yeah, yeah. Just in case yeah, anyone, yeah, anyone just, just kind of come in and see yeah. what's going on. But yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, but as, I see it as a massive compliment to come in and and spend their time. Yeah. No, my my head chef. What, what you know? What a great. Job he did because he was only going in as a as a commie fundamentally. He was just in yeah. prepping vegetables and stuff like that. Yeah, he ran a kitchen, but he was respectful enough to understand yeah why he was there and he was doing it for the right reasons and yeah. he organised them all himself. So I did uh, yeah very much respect him for it. Yeah, no fair play. Um, you mentioned then this desire to get in front of uh, of Michel Roux and the kind of their history and their dynasty, I suppose. So you yeah. must have been uh, pretty excited to come here. But style of food that that Michel's famous for was that was that always kind of your style and how would you describe it and, and what have you, you know, have you changed uh, your style and his, I suppose, in the last few years? Because I think he says even he, you know, cooks differently to what he did 15 years ago. So. Yeah, I think um, it's, it's an interesting one because, I mean, my training was very much based on kind of French classics and that's what we were kind of taught at college. And I think that kind of forms the foundation of a lot of the modern stuff anyway. So... I think that was always kind of important. I think obviously Le Gavroche were doing those kind of French classics, but, you know, at the highest level. So, yeah, his food, and, you know, the Gavroche food has evolved over the years, obviously with, with Albert kind of stepping away and, and Michel kind of taking over. The, I think there's a kind of notable kind of shift in terms of 
catering for a more modern palate with kind of lighter dishes that are still kind of full of flavour. Um, but then there's still always going to be some of the kind of real kind of robust, rich um, butter and cream laden dishes on there as well. And I think if you're going to go to the Gavros, you want that. That's kind of, you go into a kind of French restaurant, that's what you want. Um, I mean, in terms of here, when I first came in, I was sous chef, so I wasn't actually cooking my own food as such, but the approach here has always been slightly different. It's always been a bit kind of, um, a bit more contemporary, I'd say. Um, a bit less French almost. I think um, in the early days, my kind of cooking based on kind of Launceston Place was a lot more kind of English, a lot more kind of British, trying to kind of reinvent British classics, things like that. Um, Whereas actually, in, in recent years, I've actually kind of thought, well, it's, you know, we want to go back to a little bit more of kind of tying it a bit closer to, to the kind of French roux style, but in our interpretation of it. So I think um, initially, I don't want to go too close to the kind of the Gavroche food because I felt that, you know, we need to be our, our own restaurant, have our own identity, be very separate. Um, Whereas, like I said, over the last few years, I've kind of looked back at more kind of traditional French stuff and um, and revisited more of that. And I think there's kind of, there is a bit more of a a leaning towards the classics kind of coming back through. And I think a lot of it is, you know, the classics are, are timeless. So um, the classics for a reason. So I think we kind of look more at that. I mean, there's still a kind of a lighter, more contemporary feel to the food, but I think it's quite fitting for this restaurant to have a kind of a bit more of a French feel to the food. Mm. Yeah, it's got a level of uh, grandeur to it, I suppose, isn't it? So it feels, yeah, it demands a bit of decadence. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we refurbished a couple of years ago and it's, um, this is the one room we didn't refurbish. You know, I was, <laughs> I'm looking, you're looking yeah, around. Well, no, it's uh, nice, yeah. I've got a similar colour on my yeah, house at home. Yeah. <laughs> it's, um, so yeah, we just, we wanted to make him feel more kind of luxurious, cosy, kind of like nice kind of, plush furnishings and um, a kind of real richness to it, which I kind of felt there was tying with the food a little bit better because before it was quite beige, white, a little bit kind of clinical. Okay. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm really happy with that. Yeah. Well, you're only 100 metres from Westminster. There's a lot of history there, isn't it? It feels like a... Yeah, like exactly. I think it's, it's just more in keeping with what it should be. Yeah. So how long have you been head chef here? Six years. Six years. Yeah. And, and and so you're, you know... you ruse on the door I suppose are you do you have complete freedom to, to cook as you wish or is there an element of the sort of uh, yeah the, the, the history and influence of rue I suppose in the- yeah I think I've been here a long time so I've earned a fair amount of trust um, from Michelle and Albert as well because they're both involved yeah um, and I think initially there were kind of more restrictions on what needed to be on the menu or the way we needed to approach things whereas now it's a case that I'm trusted to 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 run the food as I as I see fit. Um, I think they they know I'm not going to do anything kind of completely radical. I think my kind of ethos of using the best quality ingredients and and just treating them simply and with respect, I think is is kind of very much aligned with um, the way Chef Michelle sees food. Mm. And that um, I guess changing world of chefs so you talk about your history being very sort of classical french trained and, I, and i've certainly seen it over the years that 
I don't know, let's see, it's the same in London, I suppose, but we seem to have a lot more cooks and, 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 and a lot less patience, I suppose, is the thing in chefs. I've seen a lot of chefs who want to uh, to race through the kind of, you know, up the ranks from from, from commie to sous yeah. uh, to head chef at speed without necessarily getting that traditional training. What's your thoughts on that? Is that is that a fair reflection or um, is that is that no, kind I of classic it, I, training still there? I agree. I mean, there's a, it's been a lot of, of shifts in that sense. And I think, um, you know, back when... It's difficult for me to say because obviously I obviously went my way up to the head chef at 24 just because financial, financially I needed to. Um, but I completely think that I would have been better served um, really kind of, you know, learning my trade at a lower level in a higher quality kitchen. However, things have turned out okay for me. I guess I'm kind of lucky in that sense. Um, but... I think it's really important to kind of properly learn your trade, but the way people learn now is different. I think, you know, this generation have got part of it as well, but we've got so much information in our hands in terms of the internet, YouTube, things like that. We can learn so many different things so quickly. So I think, and, and with social media, you don't have to go into someone else's kitchen to see what they're doing. Um, I mean, yeah, to learn kind of disciplines and all the rest of it, you do. And I think that there's a few chefs that can go through a very young age um, and succeed at a high level. I mean, you look at people like Tom Story and, um, and Ben Murphy at kind of young ages, head chefs, but they're doing it and doing really well. And they've also put in a lot of graft um, and hard work and put themselves in kind of really high-end places to learn but they're exceptions there's not there's a lot of other chefs that will try and rush through get to a head chef level and then find that they haven't really got the kind of experience or the the knowledge to to make a real go of that um so i think it's really important to get those kind of foundations in place before taking on too much responsibility mm. and, and I, it feels like there's been a shift so if you you know I, I, the chefs get more respect now in many ways I think and I suppose shows like MasterChef have shown it because I don't think people really you know most people who weren't a chef didn't understand particularly that classic kind of French training how much work went into it around you know all the different sources and yeah, all the, sure. the kind of base stuff that you need to know and I think it's certainly in the f uh, f first sort of few years of MasterChef it was an utter shock to people to go oh my god I had no idea it was so hard do you think they were sort of you know pivotal in, in getting that respect for the industry a little bit more or? well in terms of MasterChef you mean yeah I think yeah I mean the exposure to I think everyone's more interested in food now. I think that's kind of a lot of it. And I think, again, that kind of access to so much information is not just for chefs. It's the home cook can now do a really competent job because they've got access to all these kind of recipes and techniques and, and all the rest of it at home. So anyone that's kind of got an interest in food can now kind of see what goes into to creating kind of dishes. And I think that also has a knock-on effect in the sense that for us to exceed someone's expectations of what they can achieve at home in a restaurant, we have to go a bit further. It's, you know, it's making sure that we're always sourcing stuff really well and we're getting the best quality ingredients that maybe people can't get at home. Um, so I think, yeah, people just having more of an interest and MasterChef obviously has been a kind of a big factor in that mm. um, and all the kind of, you know, TV exposure and in other levels. Um, it just means that people have been looking at the, the the kind of chef in industry and all the 
the restaurant industry and, and realising what goes into it. Yeah, and I, and I guess a little bit of kind of yin-yang and not to, to blame Gordon specifically, but I suppose on one side you've got people witnessing just, you know, the amount of work that goes into, into classic chef training. But on the flip side, you've, you've got this perception of the industry of being a very shouty, angry, hot-headed, kind of challenging place. And I think the industry got a reputation and a lot of people looking at it going, my God, I do not want to work in that. You know, that the, 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 yeah. it's probably the same in the military is that people don't want to go into a sector where they're just going to be shouted at and told what to do. Do you think the culture in kitchens has changed? Or? I do, yeah. And I think it's important that it continues to do so. I think it's, um, I mean, there is still a bit of that goes on. For sure, like it's um, it's never going to just change overnight. And I think, I mean, Gordon as an example, I think, yeah, he obviously is kind of very direct in what he wants and, and all the rest of it. But at the same time, you look at how long a lot of those people worked for him. So he can't be all that bad. Um, he seems to have been wrong. Gordon. No, I'm not saying it's anything other than kind of extremely difficult to, to work in one of his his restaurants especially that period where they kind of filmed Boiling Point and um, he was kind of really pushing for the three stars you know it's it is a tough environment but you know if people want to learn and develop they're going to go to the the best places they possibly can but I think over the years I think it has got better in terms of you know working conditions I think chefs now we start to understand that maybe you don't get the best out of people by working them kind of 100 hours a week um and you know looking at ways that we can improve that and that's not an easy thing just to just to shift and just say okay we're gonna double our workforce and um everyone can do half the amount of hours because that just doesn't work all the restaurants would, would go under you know for a while yourself it's a huge challenge yeah. um you have to look at what you're doing and the way you're doing it um and it's something we had to look at here we you know we're fortunate that we're monday to friday restaurant but we were still clocking up kind of 80 hour weeks in those those five days. So trying to kind of reduce that down over like the last kind of four years really, um, it's not about challenges. And we have to kind of say, right, well, how are we gonna do that? Because we were working with um, an a la carte menu, a lunch menu, plus the tasting menus. We were working off about 30, odd dishes essentially and obviously the way I saw to kind of try and reduce the, the guys hours down was just to kind of strip back what we offer make sure we offer less dishes so we work now with 15 16 dishes because um, we just do a kind of set uh, kind of prefix lunch menu dinner menu uh, same menu lunch and dinner we don't change a weekly kind of lunch menu anymore um, we keep that menu evolving nicely but we try and kind of make sure that you know, we haven't got ultimately a really kind of high class a la carte menu and a kind of slightly inferior lunch menu. We just kind of make sure we keep a kind of really good standard, um, work on less dishes. The guys get to do less hours because we need less people in the kitchen at any one time. Um, it keeps the wastage down a hell of a lot. Um, like I say, it just means that we're getting more out of the guys. The guys are more kind of motivated when they're coming in. They've got more kind of time away from the restaurant to to think about food just stop and think ultimately i think that's the kind of thing is um it's really important to have that kind of time and reflect on what you're doing and how you're organizing yourself and um and ideas for new dishes and things like that so are they all down to four day week now is that yeah they're all down to four day week and i think as well is i used to hear a lot of talk about 
oh yeah, we're going to a four day week mm. when we're fully staffed. And, and they never are. They're never fully staffed. <laughs> and yourself. it's just, you know, you're never kind of, yeah. it's almost like an empty promise. Yeah. Whereas we've made sure we've got the structure in place here so that unless things go drastically wrong, the guys, again, I think there's probably been in the last few years, maybe two or three weeks where, you know, we've had to ask the guys to do a bit extra. That's, that's um, so I think, you know, it's, it's just make sure we've got that structure in place. We're you know, looking at the way we're working. We're looking at the way we organise ourselves, um, make ourselves more efficient, ultimately. Yeah. And uh, no weekends, shut down for Christmas. You pretty much follow, uh, well, not quite the Parliament's hours, otherwise you wouldn't be here now because we were uh, yeah, I mean, just pre-election. No, I mean, but, uh... look, Parliament does affect us, of course. So when Parliament go in recess in August, we close for two weeks. Right. Nice. Um, it allows us to clear some holiday. Um same at Christmas, we shut for two weeks, so the guys all get uh, the kind of Amazing. Christmas off. Might come for a job soon. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, living the dream. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah, close of the weekends. Occasionally we'll do a private event or something like that at the weekends, but okay, very few yeah. and far between those. So nice. no, it's good. I mean, in terms of the way we we treat the guys now, I think it's you know we try and be fair. I like I'm not an angry kind of shouty abusive chef anyway, but. You know, I, I want the guys to feel inspired. I want them to feel looked after. I want them to, you know, feel like they're part of something. Um, it's, you know, quite an inclusive um, way that we try and kind of run it. I want the guys to come to me with ideas on, you know, how we can constantly be approving ourselves. Yeah. Because, you know, there's, there's 10 people in that kitchen. They've all got kind of different backgrounds, different ideas, different experience. So, you know, I'm, I'm always learning. Um, from them as much as anything. Yeah, I think it is. It's you know it's essential and it is a good time for the industry in that way. And maybe the shortage of chefs was a necessity to make the industry change. And hopefully it will encourage. And you know some of these conversations hopefully encourage uh, younger people to come in because it's still an incredible industry. I think isn't it? Although it's hard graft, you know it's still. You know, you, you not everybody's academic, is there? You don't need to come from an academic background. If you can rock up and, and just be in the, and the whole of hospitality, to be fair, not just in the kitchens, but ideally look someone in the eye, be a decent human being, have a work ethic, and and you can, you know, move fast through this industry and get you know, no, good experience. No, absolutely, and I think that's the kind of key thing. And even as a chef, it's kind of that desire to look after people and. Yeah. Um, you know, just ultimately give good hospitality, give kind of, you know, you're cooking for people, you're kind of giving something for enjoyment. Mm. I think that's the kind of most satisfying part about it is when you kind of actually see that. Because as a chef, obviously, sometimes you you don't see that and you can kind of easily forget about it when you're stood there just kind of, I don't know, peeling a sack of onions or yeah. doing a, some kind of monotonous job in the kitchen. That, you know, ultimately, it's about that kind of guest experience. And where there is this bigger interest in the industry. We get so many more people now that will come in the kitchen and kind of talk to the chefs and all the rest of it. And that's that's great. We love doing kind of like a kitchen tour at the end of the meal and um, you know, they'll come in and I'll kind of introduce them to all of the team and they'll just kind of ask loads of questions and you know, tell us what they enjoyed and all the rest of it. And, and that's great. I think that's good for the guys as well. I think nice. it's, uh, 
it's always felt a bit ironic that we're in you know the world of hospitality in front of house you know you're looking after anniversaries and birthdays and whatever's going on and i've always felt the past as a fascinating place because you've got the front of house team who are having to be in that kind of happy jolly kind of party yeah. uh headspace and then they come to the past where all too often it's you know kind of like everything's the minute <laughs> perfection you know that souffle is going to drop in the next 28 seconds get it off the pass and yeah. into the restaurant and i thought there should just be a documentary of the clash of personalities almost from a military style service back of house to a kind of like oh it's your birthday have a lovely time you know yeah. we've just been singing happy no, birthday in front of house but it's nice that yeah I think we're starting to get that better and recognise you know if you're looking after human beings no I think so and I think um, you know I've had it before where I kind of you can see the the way it's sometimes coming in and looking miserable in the back and I I don't really think that they can just flip a switch walk out into the room and be no all smiles and then yeah. next thing you know you're getting a TripAdvisor review of like you know, this guy was miserable and serving me and the rest of it. So I think it's important that actually that kind of um, motivated, kind of energised, positive kind of um, attitude and atmosphere is actually running through the whole kind of brigade. Yeah. Um, and as much as it's difficult to kind of maintain the 100% of the time, obviously, but just trying to make sure that it's always kind of everyone looking out for each other, front of house and back of house, um, so that it's not a case that it's all kind of false when you come out in the special. Because ultimately, you want people that are genuinely hospitable. People 100%. that are not just kind of putting on a show. It's, I mean, there always used to be these kind of smile, you're on stage things on the back of kitchen doors when you walk out into the dining room. It's like... Go from sobbing to smiling. Yeah, exactly. Into yeah, two and you don't want that. You want people that genuinely kind of want to go out and engage in a conversation and... Um, and offer people kind yeah, of good I think people service. can tell that authenticity, can't they? Yeah, exactly. So it's got to be genuine. I think um, it's a big part about the way we recruit in the kitchen as well is that I want people that are genuinely going to come in and be respectful of each other, are going to look out for each other, are going to work as part of a team to deliver something special, not they're going to come in with their own agenda to just kind of push their way through the ranks. Um, and I want them to, you know, I'd rather have someone that comes in with a good attitude, a desire to learn, a desire to evolve together than someone with a massive ego and kind of, you know, maybe a better CV or a... Yeah, and, and, and you do that. So, uh, yeah, you, you you don't firstly look at yeah, skills and ability to cook. And to test that, you bring them in, they do a whole day. Is that right? They spend a day with us. But that's not just testing their skills. That's also testing how they get on with everyone else. Yeah. And I will talk to the team about how someone has been throughout that day to see if they'll fit into the group and see if they'll kind of... Um, see how they settle in, see if they're asking people the right questions. Are they kind of... Um, are they showing an interest in what we're doing? Because it's not just about kind of coming in and showing me that you can slice an onion or make a make this sauce or that sauce or whatever. We can train people to do those kind of things. If they've got the right attitude, they've got a certain amount of dexterity and, uh, and an ability to kind of, you know, push when they need to. Um, we can train them to do what we need them to do in terms of the food that we do here. It's more about how they kind of fit in to the team. Mm. And I think that's, I feel that I owe that to, to the group that we've got in the kitchen to, to make sure we're getting the right people that are not going to come in and, and upset that balance. And I think um, as soon as you get a kind of 
a real negative influence in the kitchen, it can spread so quickly. Mm. Same in a restaurant in general, I think, isn't it? You know, yeah. You're only as good as yeah, your worst sure. member of staff, basically. Yeah, you've got, no, it's, you've it's got to act quickly. True. There's a general perception out there um, at the moment uh, of it being an unprecedentedly difficult time to get chefs. And I think we... Well, I wonder if it is, is it an illusion or the reality. We would imagine at your level that there'd be people knocking on the door all the time because you've got such a great reputation. There's so much opportunity to learn. But I worry a little bit around people's willingness now. You know, it used to, I used to always say to people, look, it's not what you earn, it's what you learn. You know, go and learn yeah. some stuff. Uh, have you got them queuing up to get into the kitchen or is it a tough time? Even I would in say your queue up. It's, it is difficult. And it's, you know, the last few years have been, they have been tough. I think... Um, I never used to want to advertise jobs here as being Monday to Friday, just because I thought that that's going to attract people for the wrong reasons. Um, so I never used to put that on the ads. I had to start probably last year. But I mean, actually, I haven't had to advertise for a little while now. So kind of touch wood, feel a bit fortunate in that sense. Um, it's not necessarily that we've got people queuing up to get in or I've got kind of CVs. I get a kind of steady flow of CVs coming through, I could say. Um, but it's about kind of looking after the people you do have and trying to make sure we retain staff more than um, more than necessarily kind of keeping them coming through. I think that's the, the important thing is trying to make sure that, A, we're getting, like I say, the right people in so the environment is a good environment to work in. Um, B, making sure there's a, a route through the kitchen for people that are coming in. Because I'd like to try and employ at the lowest level um, which for us is Demi Chef to Party. So I like to get people in at that level, build them up, let them go through the ranks. And I think if there's always that kind of incentive that there's that clear kind of pathway through the kitchen to develop, to kind of, you know, start to earn a bit more money, start to kind of um, get to take on a bit more responsibility. And that, that's really important for me. And I want people to kind of go through here and, and, and work and learn and go away as a kind of, improved chef so they can go on to work in a restaurant at a higher level and and be comfortable in doing that mm. um so i think yeah for me as much as anything it's about developing the the guys that we've got mm. is there an opportunity once people are, are kind of in the rue network of restaurants to go and work between the others as well do you get much yeah, I mean, absolutely. That's, that's something that they kind of wanted to do then yeah i mean chef michelle's in here kind of fairly regularly so it's just a, a simple conversation if that you know, they wanted to go across, then then that's fantastic. It doesn't always happen that way. I mean, um, I guess to some degree, you've got people that have come in once they've gone and got the the Rue name on their CV. It's 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 great, and then maybe we'll just do the one. But yeah, you'll get some that want to kind of stay within the within the group. And I think it's um, it's important as 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 a group as well that you kind of try and keep hold of your best people. And if that's the case, that so they've kind of moved across, then then so be it yeah sometimes I think people just need a change of location to keep them infused don't yeah, they? So no, which absolutely. will come on to actually brings us back to your story because you, you've stayed here a, a long time but also carried on winning awards so one of the reasons that I'm sat here today as I saw only a couple of weeks ago uh, Chef of the Year was it what did yeah, that involve yeah. what was it congratulations no thank you it was, uh, yeah, so it was Craft Guild National Chef of the Year so I mean it's a competition that I've, I've always looked at and thought I'd, I'd really love to kind of enter that um, I mean you look the people that have won it have kind of talking people like Mark Sargent, um, Gordon Ramsay, Russell Bateman, Alan Williams. Um, I can't name all of them. <laughs> <Some> <laughs> like that's not part of the test. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you, can't, you can't pass until you've uh, listed but, them. 
it's just an incredible list of chefs that have kind of have done it and won it and it's kind of from from my perspective it, in terms of industry competition it's kind of it's the top one I'd say and um in terms of especially my level of respect for it I think it's um it's up there the judges that the judges are just an incredible list of you know the who's who of who were the judges um, this year oh, there's there's a lot of judges oh, was it? I mean in the semi-finals you had people like James Napier um Matt Abay from Hospital Road um final then you're talking kind of Claude Bossy Claire Smith Sat Baines um Gary Jones from the Manoir is kind of the chair of judges well, I believe that's changing for next year right um, I'm nervous just you listing those people I can't yeah, imagine just I can't imagine cooking lunch for them incredible list of people that you know you're going to go and cook for I think actually a lot of the interviews prior to the, the final taking place were kind of how are you going to feel about cooking for all these judges yeah, yeah you're just like trying to ramp up the nerves it's just like well <laughs> yeah you've put yourself forward for it it's just it is what it is you just got to go in there and cook yeah. it's I'm not going to have time you, to worry about that. You've always been pretty ice cool, though, haven't you? You never come across as uh, yeah, massively stressed. Yeah, I tend not to get kind of flustered or overawed by it. It's, um, I mean, ultimately, if you're two hours to cook three courses, you're not really going to have time to, to worry about yeah. who you're cooking for. It's just get it done and get it on a plate. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great competition. I think, um, like I said, I'd wanted to do it for years. I'd always looked at it. There'd always been a reason why I wouldn't do it, lack of time or... Something like that. So it always be, oh, I'm not going to make it, I'm not going to make it. And even this year, um, the kind of, the deadline was fast approaching. And I said last year that I was like, I'm definitely going to enter next year. Um, yeah, deadline was fast approaching. I wasn't going to make it. So I just said to my wife, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not going to, not going to do it again this year. I've just not got time. Because we had a bit of staff turnover at the beginning of this year. Um, they extended the deadline. And then I said, like, right, this is my opportunity. It's a sign. I've got to go and do it. Okay. just got the entry in just pushed myself as I live because the there's always the concern that I won't have time when the kind of semi-finals comes around to practice properly or the final comes around that I won't have time to practice I was like just get the entry in if you get through then you're forced to do it you can't not do it then. Was, was there a sense of having I don't know one master chef that you're putting pressure on yourself you're kind of putting yourself out there to be judged again do you think um, you've got more to lose I don't know about that really I mean master was is, 10 years ago so I kind of feel that's kind of subsided a bit or enough that I don't have to kind of worry about that can't keep going out on that glory no <laughs> exactly I don't have to worry about that as such and I kind of feel like people might look from the outside and see me as a bit of a kind of serial competition chef but it's not really the case I mean obviously I only did Master Chef the once once, and, once a decade is probably not too yeah no, exactly and obviously National Chef of the Year was only a kind of one off thing as well I didn't expect to win it first time but obviously that was um, yeah, a massive result yeah um, amazing and yeah, I got the got the entry in. Semi-finals kind of rolled around. Had a really good day on the semi-finals. Um, so won the heat on that. Um, feedback from the judges was really good. And then, you know, the final came along. And I hadn't really had as much time to practice as I'd have liked. Was kind of, a, basically I was going around, I was sulking a bit the weekend before and kind of telling everyone there's no, no way I'm going to win this. It's ridiculous. I haven't practiced enough. I haven't kind of tested my dishes enough. I just not had the time to do it. I was the same for everyone. I mean, you, you already knew what you were going to cook at that stage, haven't you? Yeah, I knew what I was going to cook at that time because you had a mental day a few weeks before. That way you kind of find out what you're going to cook and or what you can cook with, what the brief is. Um, but I only really started practicing the weekend 
the weekend before because it was on the Tuesday. So Sunday was the first day I kind of really did the dishes properly. Yeah. I was going to say, at least you were head chef this time, so surely you could have given yeah, yourself well, a little no, bit exactly. more slack. And we're shut on the weekends Yeah, well, but you were shut so on a Sunday anyway, so doing it at home. Um, although, you know, taking time away from the family is not something I do lightly. Yeah. Um, so it's... Um, yeah, I didn't feel best prepared, shall we say. Um, but actually, I think that probably benefited me in the final. And I think you can practice and practice and practice and have everything kind of timelined and say, right, I'm going to do this at this time. I'm going to have 10 minutes to do that and I'm going to do this bit and get everything so kind of regimented in the way you're going to work that when you turn up at an unfamiliar place to cook and then things don't quite go as you expected or the oven doesn't quite work how you thought it would or... Um, the induction hob's absolutely raging like it was. I've never seen anything so fierce in my <laughs> life. Um, it's, I think if you've kind of so much practised that timeline and you've almost kind of rehearsed a, a script or a play that you're kind of just kind of dancing your way through, um, then you find it harder to adjust when things don't go, don't go your way. Makes sense. Whereas, yeah. whereas I hadn't really done that. I knew I was going to go in there and cook. I knew what I wanted to achieve in terms of flavours, textures, and um, the overall dishes. Um, that when things did go wrong, it was just kind of, okay, just use your experience, draw yeah, on that. Cook, and cook from the heart, just keep, from the head, just don't keep follow going. the formula. But, uh, no, exactly. And I mean, you know, my, my dishes weren't without their flaws. I was going to say, what did you make? I did, um, we all had to do a bouillabaisse-inspired dish for the first course, so I just did a really kind of quite classical kind of bouillabaisse sauce, just focused on packing loads of flavour in there. Uh, did that with a piece of red mullet and um, a shellfish mousse on toast. I kind of, I think you've also got to kind of be mindful of who you're cooking for in these things. Same with MasterChef and any competition, really. Be mindful of who your judges are and think, like, what will they appreciate? So... That's good advice. Kind of classical foundations is what a lot of these guys that are kind of top of their game uh, have kind of based their kind of their works on, really. So... It's, um, yeah, I wanted to kind of go down go down that road. In terms of um, main course, it was suckling pigs. Everyone had to do a suckling pig dish. Um, and then I did that with trompet mushrooms, hazelnuts, and Jerusalem artichokes. And I mean, to be honest, that didn't actually go as I was planning because I'd been practicing with um, slightly fatter, chunkier kind of Jerusalem artichokes. I turned up there, the, the artichokes were kind of super thin. I put them in the oven to kind of roast them before scooping the flesh out of the middle and kind of making a crushed artichoke. But because the quantity I'd ordered, it didn't yield very much uh, artichoke to us. I was like, oh God, I'm really skimping here. So I was like, right, do a tiny little quenelle for the one for the pitcher and then give more to the one that's going to go to the judges. Um, and just make sure that one does go to the judges. Um, so yeah, it's just, that was just all about kind of just packing in as much as much flavour as possible. Kind of, and also my first, as soon as they said suckling pig, I was like, right, got to get a good crackling. And I think probably was um, the bit that kind of swung it in that sense was that you've got kind of good crackling on a piece of pork. It's a difficult thing not to like. Yeah. Um, Did not everybody do that? No, I think it's, it's difficult to get good crackling on... Um, a piece of suckling pig in that amount of time. Yeah. Um, because ultimately you need to dry the skin out. Um, and we just did that, but I was just, just using the time to the kind of maximum of just drying that pork belly out in the oven as soon as it kind of got in there and then just kind of roasting it at the end and 
getting her a kind of really good and it came together. skin. So yeah, kind of. I was gonna say it's a bit of luck. Worked out all right playing. in that sense. Um, but yeah, my dessert was a uh, Calvados Barbar with um, poached pears and creme fraiche Chantilly, and that was the bit that I I messed up on it. I, I, so so I read it. you weren't was, happy with um, that. No, not at all. It was it was dense. It was um, <laughs> I hadn't mixed the yeast in properly and I hadn't kind of gone through the mix and. So I wasn't really getting the rise, and I was like, oh, God, it's not rising. Um, and then... You look a bit tense just, just yeah, telling the story. Yeah, me out, <laughs> And then I was like, um, I told my commie, Damien, I was like, could you go on way out, another recipe quickly, because if we get time, we're going to make it again. Right. But there was, just, there was no time to do that. So it was just kind of a case of bake them off. They were super dense and hard. Really? And just like, well, we just need to get them in this soaking liquor and almost kind of poaching them in that to try and soften them up and um, <laughs> you didn't tell the judges like, this uh, in advance no right? no, no, no absolutely not I did apologise afterwards but as um, I mean they said like you know the flavours were great yeah it was a bit dense but the flavours were great and that's kind of why it kind of <laughs> went alright but after I think things like that you kind of look at it you're like you're reading yourself off because you're just thinking well yeah, you I've know, you've judged here. yourself. You then know. you come out to the back and you speak to everyone else, everyone's made mistakes. It's about who's kind of made the least mistakes, really, and who's mm -hmm. kind of delivered the most flavour. Nice. So uh, how did it feel when you got told you'd won that one? Was that as tense? They don't just do the drum roll thing, do they? And drag no, it out that's a bit different. Obviously, you're up on stage in, yeah, front of, so it's not... in front of a load of people. But um, because of that, Barbara, I'm probably my own worst critic. So because of that, I was just like, no, I can't have won. Mm. I haven't won it. Um, Thought maybe I would have come in top three, hopefully. So when they read out kind of third place, second place, I was like, oh no, I didn't even make top three. And yeah, it really did come as a, everyone's just like, oh, don't be silly, it didn't come as a surprise. We all knew it would win it and all this stuff. But it was like, genuinely came as a massive surprise. Um, and it was, um, yeah, it was quite emotional actually. I kind of felt properly choked up. And I think, um, because the week I'd had the week before was uh, a tough one to take because I did a, a different competition that I didn't win and I was um, it made me really kind of question myself and what I was doing and I was just like and it also meant that I didn't have enough time to practice for National Chef and I was like oh no I'm not going to do well on that one either and like I said I'd been sulking over the weekend and um, was getting a bit uh, bit annoyed with myself, a bit frustrated. I was like, well, gonna, I don't want to be a chef anymore. I've had enough. I'm going to jack it all in. I don't want to do National Chef. I'm going to pull out. Brilliant. Um, but then obviously to go there and then come out on top was, um, yeah, it was a big kind of nice. release. Your family of must have been relieved. They had a happier. Yeah, definitely. Happier I think, dad, um, yeah, dad's not sulking anymore. So it's, um, yeah, no, it was, it was great. And obviously the support from, from family and the chefs and, and colleagues here is is really kind of invaluable and without them I couldn't do any of it so yeah, it's nice. um you got any better at celebrating did you whoop and leap off the stage or was it still pretty ice cool no just, I, didn't, just I, was, I was trying not to cry so I was just like uh yeah, nice. I was just literally just <laughs> yeah. trying to smile it's a bit intense actually with all the kind of cameras snapping and stuff like that and then they want to get your initial reaction so they're trying to kind of film stuff for social media and all the rest of it so it's um yeah, I had to kind of just compose myself. And it was quite funny actually because in the in the evening we went to to Claude Bossy for the kind of the kind of celebration um, of it all, and then they kind of 
thrust me into kind of making a speech, which I wasn't really prepared for, actually. And again, then I kind of, I don't know what it is. It's just, like I said, just the whole kind of the week that had gone before and all that stuff, I just felt really emotional. Really? Um, and then I kind of came and started kind of talking to some people and someone I knew kind of said to me, like, you know, I wanted to cry out there. It's just like, it's like, well, you know. Yeah. I did. Well done. You, <laughs> held it, you held it together. Just about. Um, while we're talking specifically about dishes, and I'll come to an end in a minute, but this is going to go out just before Christmas, I think. 23rd, I think, is the Monday. So you are yeah. on our Christmas episode. Okay, so, awesome. um, any Anything, you, you, you're off at Christmas, which is nice. Are you chef Absolutely. at home? Does your wife do the cooking? Who's the... Uh... Um, no, I tend to, especially at Christmas. I mean, a Sunday roast is my favourite thing to cook at home. Is it? Absolutely, yeah. I think, um, so... Christmas dinner is just a kind of more elaborate version of that with more kind of vegetables so you do, that's and your the rest treat, of it. Treat yeah, when you day I off just, Christmas Day. Yeah, exactly. But I love it. I, I really enjoy that kind of meal. And yeah. I just like everything in the middle of the table. We can all share and it's family sharing style. So uh, a couple of uh, either a couple of tips or, or a couple of dishes that you particularly love at Christmas that aren't um, necessarily generic. So. I mean, I tend not to cook turkey, so I think right. uh, trying to avoid dry turkey is probably don't you have? use turkey. So. Uh, we will probably get a lovely French chicken. French chicken? Um, yeah. So it's... Um, the French chickens are just really good. Really? Why? Yeah. Just the way they're kind of... Um, the way they're farmed, they're kind of giving lots of time to kind of grow slowly and just develop really good flavour. I mean, we get better over here as well. I still don't yeah. kind of necessarily get quite the same flavour. Um, Do you know how many days they grow for? Not sure, Chickens is a thing for me. It drives me bonkers because yeah. we have 35 days. Don't even you know have time to grow any legs at 35 yeah, days. Yeah, sure. Industry norm, I think, is about 55. You get 76 once you get up. I think free range or something, and then you know yeah. like around 100 days seems to be the creme. But I don't know what the situation I'll, is in I'll France. Check, but we've been doing check. a lot of yeah, a lot of work ourselves trying to trying to get the right balance because it's um. I think yeah. it's tricky. Food supply and, uh, yeah, the compromises that have been made. I've done a lot of podcasts interviewing, you know, some of the farmers and stuff. Yeah, and, and, yeah. And, and, and There's some people doing some great stuff. I think, yeah, it's improving. I've listened to your, your podcast with the, the guys from Chalkstream and that's something we use here and it's just an incredible product. I yeah, think um, they, 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 they really care about what they're doing. I think that's kind of that's what you want as a, as a chef or restaurateur is you yeah. want to work with people that care as much as you do yeah. about at the end of the day the joy of, of being a restaurateur or a chef ideally isn't it is to find the very best produce and and really you know what what a, an honour it is just to represent all of those guys you find the suppliers that put enough love into their product yeah don't take this the wrong way but you know you don't need to do too much to them no it's all exactly about it. showing off their product don't don't mess around with it too much I think that's yeah. kind of as part of growing, growing up as a chef I think it's um, something you kind of learn is that you know, if you're getting the best quality ingredients, you don't have to mask it. Yeah. It's um, just treat it with care. Have a listen to uh, a chap called Tom Foote from the Open Air Dairy, who I absolutely loved, who uh, does that. He's got eight, 860 cows in a field down in Devon. Okay. Uh, who uh, all, um, they have a natural pecking order. They So they actually milk them in the in the fields rather than taking them back to a barn. Oh, really? so they don't have any barn. Why it's called wow. the Open Air Dairy. Yeah. So all year round, these cows live outside eating grass. Fantastic. Natural pecking order as to who gets milked in what order. So the cows sort it out themselves. They have an amazing life. And he makes this beautiful cheese now. Uh, yeah, cheddar, open oh, air really? dairy, cheddar. So worth checking out. But listen to the podcast. Oh, the, the most nervous I've been probably stood in a field with 860 cows being crushed between a Land Rover and a huge heifer. <laughs> but if you tickle a cow behind the ear, they relax. So there's yeah, a good stuff. tip for I you. Remember that. And I, know I didn't eat it, which was uh, which was good. Um, so uh, 
you seem happy. You've been here a long time. So, so given your success, and you must get, presumably, with all of that, I don't know, certainly in the rest of the sector, and I was just chatting to uh, Andrea um, from Mercato Metropolitan Kind of Markets, and, and he's got a really lovely product, but he constantly gets venture capitalists coming in who don't understand him and saying, look, you know, we need to grow this, we need to roll it out, we need to develop it, and he's, like, he's just not interested because he's not interested in the kind of... I suppose the, the you know the, the what, what the venture capitalists have done to hospitality, trying to turn it into a commodity rather than a genuine industry. Yeah. But you must get people kind of you know wanting to back you, presumably, if you have offers of opening your own restaurant. And and what's your plans, thoughts, and dreams on that front? Um, no, not so many offers of opening my own place. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, it's, uh, it's been a tough couple of years. Uh, no, but if the podcast um, takes off, I'll be in touch. I mean, to be honest, for me at the moment, I don't, I just, I don't really want to open somewhere right now I think it's it is a really tough time for the industry it's really uncertain I don't think the um, the grass is necessarily always greener I think I very much appreciate what I've got here I've got the support of the Rue family but also freedom to to do my thing um, and have my kind of creative output and and also kind of run the team in the way I kind of I see fit um, and the support from from restaurant associates who kind of you know they own the restaurant and the support from them and um, and all of that that goes along with it is is really good and important in kind of testing times that you know the industry is kind of facing at the moment. So, I mean, you know, I, I'm happy here. I, I've always felt that there's kind of scope to grow. I've always felt that we can be better. I've always felt that kind of. You know, if I need it, the support is there to to achieve that. Um, you know, there's I've seen a lot of people kind of go off and do this, that, and the other, and it's all well and good, kind of saying, "Well, you know, so and so owns this restaurant," and then six months later, they're walking away from it, and it's like, "Well, didn't actually own it at all." It's um, just kind of put the name to it. It's just. I don't know. It always used to be the goal of just you know I've got to get my own restaurant and, and do my own thing. But you know I'm I'm fortunate here. Like I said, it's I've got good work life balance. I've got a young family who I don't want to be that chef that's just kind of completely abused that kind of um, family life and just been away all the time because I'm chasing this that and the other at, at the restaurant or working 100 hours a week, trying to make my own restaurant a success and never see my kids. So I think, um, you know, that is the most important thing for 100%. me. Um, but I don't see why it has to be a compromise of one or the other. I think there needs to be a way, and I need to create a way of making sure that both things work. Yeah, no, that's good. I would definitely give it a few years. I think partly just because of the sector and the challenges that seem to be happening at the moment. But I think, yeah, when you've got young kids, you've got to make the most of it. You do see too yeah, many, too no, many exactly. train-wrecked families in hospitality. Yeah, uh, no, it's a of tough course. sector. So if you've got that balance at the moment, that's exciting. I, we were chatting before we started recording, we were saying about Mark Hicks, who I interviewed, who's opened a number of really successful restaurants. And you know, even him, when I was asking, what advice do you give to somebody yeah, to open yeah, yeah. a restaurant now? And you know, anybody, let alone somebody of your caliber and history who actually knows what they're doing. And his key yeah. bit of advice was, you know, don't do it, don't do it. And even personally, kind of looking at the industry and going, feels like the right time to sit back for a couple of years and just see what happens. But yeah, exactly. what, why do you think the industry's going through such a tough time? Uh, numerous reasons. I think uncertainty with um, with Brexit is... You can sort that out. They come in here, don't they? Not helping. Yeah. 
I don't, I'm not sure they do, do know what's going on anymore no. than we do, to be honest. But it's, um, I don't know. There's, there's, there's loads of kind of different challenges, but, you know, we need, um, need the economy to pick up a bit and um, people to get out and kind of spend more money. And But it's also kind of saturated as well, especially in London. I think there's been so many restaurants opening and it's kind of, you know, there is a staff shortage because there's so many restaurants popping up all the time and um, and it's, it's harder for the kind of smaller independent restaurants to, to compete with, you know, the, the chains and all the rest of that. So I was going to say, do you see um, that growth in the restaurants being at this end of the market or more that kind of chain, casual dining kind of sector? That's no, really... I wouldn't say this. I'd say, yeah, more casual. I mean, casual become a really big thing. It's what a lot of people want. I think kind of as a restaurant like this, we don't ever want to go too casual, but we've had to become kind of a bit more casual just to kind of, people don't feel uncomfortable coming to a restaurant like this. And I think it's, um, that's a really important thing. But I think that again is down to the the people that are in the room kind of offering that service and um, and making people feel comfortable. Yeah, a bit less formality. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, friendly and uh, engaging. How much is your, you said you do a set price lunch. How much is it? Uh, our lunch menu is £45, okay. uh, three courses, and then 59 for dinner. Um, so the taster menu alongside that. So we do a shorter taster menu for 65 and a longer one for 89 Amazing. Good good value. Cause, so, cause yeah, a bit of, a bit good, of scope there. But <sighs> good produce is expensive, isn't it? And yeah, exactly. Good, chef, so. good people, good, good produce. I think that's, um, that's what it comes down to. I mean, our costs have just been going up and up. Yeah. Especially again over the last couple of years with the kind of I don't know, Brexit when it first kind of came about seemed to be a kind of good excuse to just whack the prices of everything up. From a, um, from a and because of the yeah. saturated marketplace and yeah. you know, having to try and remain competitive, we can't really we haven't really been able to pass that cost on to the to the guests. Yeah. So it's um yeah, it's been it's been challenging in that sense because like I say, all of our costs have have gone up, yeah. Um, but we try and keep the cost down as, as as much as we can because we want it to be accessible. And I understand that you know our prices they're not cheap, but I do think they're good value. Yeah, absolutely. And that's that's key, I think, isn't it? It is odd some of the conversations I've had with suppliers with certain products that have gone up, and you're kind of like, hang on, this is a British product made in Britain. There's yeah, never yeah, never no, been exactly. anywhere near. You're struggling no. to work out how that classic because oh, of Brexit it's gone up twenty percent. You're like, hang yeah. on, yeah, hang yeah, on, exactly. just just explain to me that's why exactly we, um, why that is the case. I remember so, seeing uh, an interview pretty much just after how Jason Afton was talking about Brexit proofing his restaurants by buying all the British products. And yeah. then I was like, well, hang on, a minute. it's all the British products that yeah, weird, seem to be rocketing up in price. Yeah, like you say, a bit, bit of an excuse. So. Um, okay, so uh, I guess two things. One is anybody looking to uh, get into the industry and whether that's, you know, anything, I suppose, but specific, specifically, you know, your area of strength, kitchens. And, and the key thing that, you know, I've loved watching your career develop was your... Uh, yeah, just having the, the guts, I suppose, to make those compromises and to, to realise what you needed to do to take yourself to the next level. So I've always yeah. respected you for that. So hats no, off to you. you. So anybody else who's who's looking, because I still think it's an exciting industry, what do you say to a young chef? What advice do you give them if they want to get into this sector? I think the, the key thing is um, be prepared for a lot of hard work. I think it's you're not going to achieve anything without going above and beyond. Um, and I think, you know, get into a kitchen where you really feel that you're going to be able to learn 
people are going to spend time with you, helping you to develop. Um, and stick around for a good amount of time as well. I don't think you can just go in somewhere for a year and learn enough. That's why I kind of like to have that kind of level of progression here so that the guys can stick around for two, three years. I mean, I've had guys in here for kind of four or five years. Um, and they're the ones that will come out the other side better off for it um, because they'll have a real kind of deep understanding of the kind of fundamentals and that can take you a long way. I think getting that kind of, getting that kind of real level of um, uh, kind of solid cookery skills um, is key, early doors. Mm. Um, so yeah, don't keep just jumping from one place to the other because you can have a, an incredible looking CV of kind of, you know, I've done one year at two star, another year at two star, another year at three star, another year at one star. And just kind of, essentially, I can look at that and probably think, well, they've probably just gone and done larder there, they've gone and done larder there, they've gone and done larder there, and not kind of work their way through a kitchen. I also like to see on someone's CV when it comes to me that someone has actually promoted that person. Everywhere I've worked, I've always been promoted, regardless of whether it was kind of from commie chef to chef to party or sous chef to head chef or whatever. I've always been promoted, and I think... When I look at someone's CV, and if I see that they've never kind of been promoted anywhere, it's like, well, why has no one ever looked at you and thought you're worthy of kind of moving up to, to more? Mm. You've always kind of just jumped to the next place. Um, so I think that's, uh, that's an important way to kind of look at building your CV rather than just trying to get a list of kind of great names on it. Or jump in ship for 50p an hour every now and again, which, yeah, uh, which no, happens no, exactly. all too often. You, you know, you, yeah. we, we have it. You know, it's like in Bournemouth, it's a summer season. We train people or keep them through the winter. And as soon as summer comes, it's like, you know, 50p here, pound there. All of a sudden, yeah. half your brigade have disappeared to a place that's only going to be open for 10 weeks because they can get an extra pound an hour. Yeah, and then yeah. they all want to come back in the winter when we try and look after the guys and keep them longer term. And it's frustrating because yeah. you can't no, like, yeah, stay it's and, just... and, and learn. It is about what you learn as well. Ultimately, absolutely unique. You know, you can earn a decent wage but you do need to see it through there seems yeah, to be an impatience now and i think you know what we want to pay people's best we can we want to give everyone yeah. the best deal we want our guys to feel looked after Definitely. and the rest of it so you know we'll always be looking at ways we can improve that mm. but it's, it's it's finding those balances isn't it it's just you know we've yeah. got to kind it's of a make tight, sure it's a tight margin industry at the end of the day you've got to better got to keep the doors be open ultimately so, yeah. so it's um yeah, for a restaurant like this no one's making loads of money that's for sure it's yeah. um it's about trying to kind of nurture that team um and help them to develop and just like i say give them the incentive to stay yeah and these might be related but so you've, you've done all sorts of uh you know different roles different kitchens seen all sorts what's what's the most rewarding thing you do now what's the bit that you still get a buzz out of and get the most excited when you wake up in the morning i mean i think kind of seeing new dishes but i think the, the main thing now is kind of seeing the younger chefs coming through and developing through the kitchen and seeing them go off and do great things elsewhere. Um, and I think really in the last few few years, the kind of people that have been through this kitchen and kind of starting to see them kind of popping up in, in really good restaurants elsewhere, which is, which is really satisfying. And I think, you know, just in our kitchen alone, just kind of watching them kind of develop from being someone that's kind of coming in quite nervous and kind of timid Oh, that seems to be less of a thing nowadays. Yeah. Um, I probably thought you were going to be terrifying, Steve, but then yeah, yeah, they realised exactly. that you were uh, so friendly. softly spoken. Um, and then just watching them kind of, yeah, develop, de develop confidence and, you know, start to come to me with ideas and just using initiative and going off and doing their own things. You start to think, actually, yeah, you're going to go off and 
and be a real asset to, to someone else or are you gonna you're gonna go away from here kind of ready to to start running your own kitchen start taking on management responsibilities and and things like that i think that's um that's the thing that satisfies me more than anything is just seeing people develop nice that's what happens when you've had kids you turn into a big softy so yeah just, exactly uh, yeah it becomes becomes all about Stop the human being everyone's dad yeah so uh if people want to sort of follow your adventure and your story or to book in here where's the best place to go sort of yeah your social or, or website i guess uh, for reservations yeah so uh, my social is um at steve grove chef that's on twitter and uh, instagram the the restaurant is at rue aps um again on both things so yeah i can there's links to the website on the on the social platforms perfect I'll put some uh, links out on the website as well humansofhospitality.co.uk so that will go under the episode uh, sort of place you need to book if you're turning up for lunch or if you find yourself in the city can you just sort of you know pop in um, if parliament's in recess you're always guaranteed <laughs> the table but it's um, yeah it's ideally yeah. yeah best to book in beforehand perfect um, yeah great well look thank you again so much for sparing the time uh, congrats on what you've achieved thank you very much it's been a pleasure yeah. we'll keep in touch thank you Steve thank you Thank you so much for listening to this week's podcast and remember that on the website humansofhospitality.co.uk every week we put on some show notes and some links through to the various websites or social media that are mentioned and we also do a nice little breakdown of that week's conversations into specific topics so you can jump through the podcast and just listen to some of the highlights if you wish. If you've not done so already, if you could leave us a review on iTunes or one of the other podcast players of your choice that would be hugely appreciated thank you so much and uh, we'll be out with another episode next monday